My ladies, gentles, in you come, and those who are neither, all or some, come hither all such tales to hear of misrule, magic, flight, and fear, of things that unleash pandemonium, and heroes to defend us from them. And for those who thusly need inform me, in the show notes you'll find content warnings. So cautioned, audience, come with me to the Pantaloon Society. Episode 4. La Donna e Omicida. Hello, is that, uh, the, um, yes, this is the Pantaloon Society. I assume that's what you're trying to ask? Oh, right. Right, good. Thanks. I got your number from a friend who got it from a fellow I used to work with. I heard you other people to contact about weird stuff. Yes, that's us. Is there something you need help with? Yeah, right, so I work at the theatre off Covent Garden. Hmm, that's convenient. Sorry, what? Never mind, carry on. Well, there's been a murder. One of the cast. The police have been, but they've no idea who did it. They were stabbed, but they never found the weapon. And now everyone's refusing to go on with the show, saying there's a curse on it. So we're not getting paid. I see. And do you think there is a curse on the show? I'm not sure. There has been weird stuff. Scenery falling, people being weird. It's probably nothing, but... But it might not be. Yes, I think I understand, Mr... Braithwaite. Nigel Braithwaite. Mr Braithwaite. I'll send some of our operatives over to investigate as soon as possible. Can I take the address of the theatre in question? Ah, the opera. That wondrous marriage of song, libretto and dance, that pinnacle of Western artistry. Since the late 16th century, these delightful works of high drama, comedy and tragedy have delighted audiences across the world. The particular opera, which had until recently been enjoying a successful run at the theatre which Mr Nigel Braithwaite, stagehand, was for the moment employed, was Giuseppe Verdi's 1850 tragedy, Rigoletto. For those not familiar with the work, it is an opera in three acts, telling the tale of the cuckolding Duke of Mantua, his hunchbacked court jester, the titular Rigoletto, and Rigoletto's innocent daughter, Gilda. The opera itself was beset by setbacks and obstacles which almost prevented its staging. At the time of its writing, the former Republic of Venice had been annexed to the Austrian Empire, and all Venetian artworks were subject to censorship by the exceedingly strict Austrians, 
The opera was rejected by the censors, calling it repugnant and obscene triviality. The Victor Hugo play upon which it was based had already been banned in France previously. In order to get it approved, the setting and the plot had to be altered to Verdi's protestation, and several of the racier scenes deleted. Plagiarism was common at the time, necessitating Verdi keep the score secret until the last minute. The score for the Duke's famous aria, La Donne Immobile, was not provided until a short time before the first performance. Needless to say, when the opera finally premiered, it was to a sold-out theatre, and the aria in question was being sung in the streets the next morning. But let us leave the premieres of yesteryear, and turn to another premiere, that of our heroes. Yes, heroes plural. For in addition to small Jen, in today's performance we are joined by Big Joe, who you may remember dear audience from episode 2. It is their first outing together as performers of the Pantaloon Society. We find the two of them just outside the theatre, whose signage still proudly and currently inaccurately proclaimed their sumptuous reimagining of Rigoletto would be performed from the 3rd of June to the 25th of July. For some reason, Joe had brought several large cases with him, and was checking the contents. What's that? Ghost hunting stuff. EMF Nisa, thermometer, ghost box. You're going to tell them we're ghost hunters? Yep, done it before. Everyone thinks you're just some weirdo. Some of them even help you find stuff. Jen was, although they had not expressed it, not altogether pleased to be on this case with Joe. The two of them had not exactly hit it off on their previous meeting at the Society, which you may also remember from episode 2. However, as Dr. Harrington had explained, there were no other operatives, performers, available to train. Dr. Harrington herself was too advanced in years to be running around London investigating ghosts and curses, and these days was mainly involved in the information gathering and organisational part of the operation. Unfortunately, it was Joe or nothing. She would have to do her best to get along with him. Perhaps she could even try to have a bit of fun? Chen followed Joe through the revolving glass door into the theatre, considering the situation. I've got an idea. Hang on a sec. Your phone? Yeah, I'm going to film you. Wait, okay. Now. Welcome to the London Ghost Hunter Society with me, Jen, your host, and my fellow spook inspector, Joe. Joe, can you talk us through your equipment? Ha. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, so this is a ghost box. It scans the AM and FM frequency, searching for unusual signals. As they had undoubtedly intended, Joe and Jen's shenanigans rapidly attracted the attention of an official-looking man in a slightly ill-fitting suit. Or perhaps he was a man who might look like his suit was ill-fitting regardless of how it was tailored. He hurried over to intercept them, looking irritated. Excuse me, the theatre's closed. You shouldn't be in here. Who are you? We are from the London Ghost Hunter Society, and we are here to investigate the Rigoletto Curse. Paranormal investigators? Oh, no, you can't. You must leave at once. Are you filming? I'm streaming. You're not. I might be. You don't know. Mr. Friedman, the theatre manager, for it was he who had intercepted our heroes, attempted to shoo Joe and Jen out of the theatre. He was not very successful in this, as Jen was dancing around holding up their phone, and Joe was rather too large a gentleman to be easily moved from wherever he chose to be at that time. Luckily, at that point, a gentleman in workman's trousers, and a black polo shirt with the name of the theatre emblazoned on it, appeared from a side door. Here, are you from the Society? The London Ghost Hunter Society? Why, yes, yes we are. You need to investigate the Regaletto Curse. So right, Krista, with me. Asked him to come. Thought if I got someone to do an investigation and thought we'd stop talking about curses and hauntings and whatnot. Oh, oh, actually, that's quite a good idea. Well done, Nigel. 
Sorry, I'll leave you to it. Yes, yes, good idea. You can drop the act. He's gone. Act? Whatever do you mean? <laughs> Alright, I'll cut that by. You'll be Mr. Braithwaite then. Nigel. Aye. You best come with me. Before the manager had a chance to have a second thought about their presence in his theatre, Nigel spirited our heroes away through a series of progressively quieter and dustier corridors into the backstage areas of the theatre, until they found themselves in a back office where there was a handy and ancient-looking kettle. Once everyone had been provided with a cup of tea, they set to discussing the situation. What's been going on then? I hear there's been a murder. Aye, that were Humphrey Warbottle, B-A-R-C-M-O-B-E. One of the finest tenors the Royal College ever produced until someone stuck a knife in his back last Thursday in his dressing room. Any suspects? Not a one. Everyone loved him, top bloke, apart from... Apart from? Apparently he'd been known to get a bit... Hamzy. Yeah. We don't know where that came from, mind you. And before the... The murder. There was other stuff. Signor Bellatro. Him who's playing the lead. He was nearly killed by a bit of scenery falling. After the murder, the police came. They couldn't find the murder weapon and nobody saw anything, so the investigation is ongoing. Now everyone's saying there's a curse or a ghost or something. Some of the cast have just left, saying they don't want to be next. The two playing the Count and Countess of Ciprano will only talk through their equity debts. Show's not going on. Nobody's getting paid. Eventually, they'll have to shut it down if it goes on like this. That's why I called you lot. If it's just a murder, maybe you can solve it. If it's a curse, maybe you can lift it. I don't know. We'll give it our best. Can't promise anything. Like you say, it might just be a normal murder. Probably better start by interviewing anyone who's sillier. Then uh, maybe have a look at the dressing room where the murder was done. Police have already talked to everyone, but I sure. I will. Maybe there's stuff they wouldn't say to the police, but they will say to the London Ghost Hunter Society. With the ever-helpful Nigel as their escort, Jen and Joe launched their own investigation. Nigel suggested they start with some of the chorus members, who he maintained could be relied upon to have whatever was the latest gossip. And thus, we find Jen in the dressing room having their ear talked off about every possible suspect for the murder, their purported motives, and anything else vaguely or not remotely relevant. So, uh, Preston, is it? Yeah. You're in the chorus? No, no, I- I'm the sign language interpreter. Okay, thanks. Do you remember anything about the day of the murder? Oh, I wasn't there that day. I was doing my NVQ classes. But everyone knew what Warbottle was like. Hansie Humphrey, they called him. Most people liked him, obviously, except Lawrence. Lawrence? Lawrence Percy Blenkinsop. He's a bass. Uh, plays Sparrow for Chile. You know, the assassin? Lawrence tried to get chummy with him, but Warbottle absolutely cut him dead every time. Very politely. Viciously beautiful. That's interesting. More interesting than the earlier piece of information about the chief sound technician divorce, anyway. Jen thought silently to themselves. Meanwhile, in the aforementioned Lawrence Percy Blenkinsop's dressing room, Joe had found the base was much more keen to cut to the chase. Well, yes, obviously we're all very cut up about it. Dear old Humphrey, beloved by all. The old hag. Yeah, that's what people keep saying. Everyone likes him. Well, half the population likes him anyway. Well, you expect a certain amount of that with the old boys, don't you? Things were different in their time. A lot's changed since then, not always for the better. You look like a man of the world. John, was it? Joe. So you know what I mean, Joe. A lost change, that's right. So, you got any ideas? If I did, I've told the police, I assure you. 
But if I had to speculate, well, I don't know why he would do it. Someone who could. Bellatro. The one who was nearly hissed by fallen scenery. Oh, they told you about that. Yes, scenery that wasn't properly secured, because, so they say, Humphrey was um, pressing his attentions on the stagehand. And Bellatro, a fine baritone, comes from a long line of theatrical types, but in his youth he was in the Italian equivalent of the Paras. Could probably do you in before you could blink. Was he now? Of course, Joe and Jen were not always so lucky in the loquacity of their interviewees. Sadly, some of the cast were less helpful. Now we're at the dressing room of Miss Sophia Zello, the leading lady. Miss Zello, I'm from the Ghost Hunter Society. Can I talk to you about... Parca miseria! Get out! Get that camera out of my face! I cannot work under these conditions! Dear Santo, where's the manager? This was supposed to be my debut! Sorry, sorry, never mind. Although others at least were more polite about it. Excuse me, Signor Bellatro, can I, uh, forgive me, Mr. Uh, Wilson. Mr. Wilton, I have already spoken to the police. I am very tired of all this. There is nothing further I can add that I did not already tell them. I would prefer to be left in peace to rehearse my lines in the hope that all this horrible business will be over soon and we may continue with our show. Dedicated, of course, to the memory of poor Mr. Wallbottle. Here we are in the place where the murder actually happened. Just a normal dressing room, as you can see, but on this very chair, this now extremely clean chair, the dreadful deed was done. Turn that off, will you? There's nobody around to care. Justine in character. Still waving the Ghostbuster stuff around. It's hardly worth it. There's nothing here. The police have already swept it and it's obviously been cleaned up since. There isn't even a blood stain. I've no bloody idea who done this murder and I haven't seen anything weird. Apart from the cast. Alright, but that's normal weird. Stage folk weird, not supernatural weird. Yeah. Who's your money on then? Senior what's-his-name, maybe? One of the cast said he was in the Italian Paris. But he didn't have any motive that I know of. Preston, the BSL interpreter, said the lad playing the assassin didn't they like the victim much. Yeah, it was him I spoke to. Might be trying to pin it on the Italian. Could they get anything out of the leading lady? Two. Highly strong. High volume, more like. Joe? Yeah. I think we may have got off on the wrong foot. Yeah. Sorry about that. Say, right, wouldn't it be the first time? I'm old and stupid sometimes. So, how long have you been working for the society? A oh, long time. Yes. I've had breaks where I went off and did something else for a while. You need breaks sometimes. Aye, I bet you do. About Can your... Ask? You go first. Veronica didn't tell me about your presence. You don't have to tell me, but it'll help if we're working together if I know what you can do. I can bring stuff to life. Make it move around. Toys are easiest, but anything with a face. Creepy, but useful. Mine's... What's that? Jen and Joe's brief heart-to-heart was interrupted by the sounds of an altercation from the corridor. When they hurried out to see what was going on, they found the elegant Signor Bellatro and Lawrence Percy Blenkinsop in the midst of an altercation. Several other members of the cast and crew were watching, from a safe distance, obviously. Who knew what such a reputedly dangerous baritone could do to anyone foolish enough to tangle with him? Preston, isn't it? 
What's going on? Oh, hello. It's you again. This is wild. Lawrence thinks Bellatro did it. He only went and accused him in public. Everyone knows you're the only one good with a knife here, Bellatro. Own up and turn yourself in so we can get back to our jobs. I strongly advise you to leave me alone, Lawrence. I notice you're not denying it. This is your final warning. It was unclear exactly what happened next. The fighting we see on stage and screen may go on for several minutes of back and forth, thrown punches or flashing blades. In reality, such scuffles are over quickly, particularly when one of the combatants is significantly more skilled than the other. Palatio may have attempted to pass by Lawrence rather forcefully. Lawrence may have resisted, or perhaps it was the other way around. Either way, it ended rapidly and quite impressively with Lawrence pinned to the floor, his arm behind his back, protesting loudly. Once his defeat was obvious and he had stopped struggling, Palatio released him. He's a man! I'm off. I am sorry you had to witness that. Don't be, it was great. First you got his arm, then he was on the floor. Honestly, I thought you were just going to lamp the dafty. Huh. Well, perhaps next time I will teach him a lesson. Perhaps not. Excuse me, I think I will return to my dressing room to consider how much more of this I can endure. Oh, he's such a gentleman, isn't he? Please tell my beating heart. Aye, eh? bit of a silver fox. Mm-hmm. Preston, when you said that stuff about Hansy Humphrey. Yes? Who says that? Why? Oh, well, you know. Aye. Old boys. Does anything happen recently? Oh. Oh, yes. Um, Sophia Zeller, the soprano. He said something to her and she had an absolute fit. Wouldn't come out of her dressing room for hours afterwards. Called him all sorts of things. Well, they were in Italian, but you know when you can, like, tell it's rude whatever language it's in? Yeah. I... Like that. Mr. Friedman was in there for ages trying to talk it out. She was throwing things. Ooh, it was awful. I heard from Agnes and accounts that she's getting paid a lot more now. Like, a lot more. So, that got sorted out, but whenever she was around old Humphrey, she looked like she'd eaten a lemon. Ooh, do you think she did it? What was that? That did not sound good. No, it did not. They're very brave, these ghost hunters. Oh, you forgot your ghost detector stuff. Don't they need that? Our heroes, minus ghost box, hurried towards the sound of the scream. A scream that even from the other side of the theatre had inserted itself violently into their ears, like the shriek of an owl paralysing its tiny scurrying prey in the night. It was easy enough to follow the direction it had come from. The stage. Joe, being none too young, found himself falling a little behind the nimble young Jen. Thus it was that Jen was the first to find themselves running in from stage right, with Joe shortly behind puffing and wheezing. In the centre of the stage stood the soprano, Sophia Zello, looking like some sort of crazed heroine from a Regency novel, recently escaped from confinement in some forgotten attic. Her dark hair was loose and her eyes were wild and flashing with rage. The knife in her hand she was brandishing at the manager, Mr Friedman, was absolutely not in any way a prop. His hands were out defensively, and he was clearly trying to talk her down. Look, please, I'm sure this will all be sorted out. Please, just be reasonable, Miss Zeller. You? You offer me money? Money? When that old goat? I think I knew I might have stabbed Humphrey. Do I? But who is this, appearing from stage left? Why, it is the dashing Signor Bellatro, walking quietly but calmly. He was unarmed, but there was something about his general bearing that indicated he was prepared to deal with whatever was going on. La maledizione. 
Sofia, Sofia, please put the knife down. Vatene! Please, listen to your father. Go away! I don't want anything to do with you. Figlio di putana! I can't believe you took the role here. It was supposed to be my debut, and you're the old goat ruined it for me! The sound of Sophia's scream echoed around the stage unusually. Its harmonics went in through the ears and straight to the guts in an unnaturally jarring and unpleasant way. Joe and Jen looked at each other, both with their hands reflexively clapped over their ears, clearly having the same thought. Joe held up his finger. Jen nodded. Hmm. Miss Seller, can I ask you a question? Ah, not another one! What do you want? A prickling began on the back of Jen's neck. It was not the piercing horribleness of the scream, but instead a sense of something building. Something warm and familiar. When Joe spoke, the feeling intensified. How do you know when the theatre's upset? What? How do you know when the theatre's upset? I... I don't know. Jen was clearly not the only one affected. The tension was starting to go out of Sophia's shoulders, and the knife sagged a little in her grip. It's in tears. Tears. Alright, that one's better written down. I wrote a script about the dictionary once. Did you? Yeah, it was a play on words. <laughs> For some unaccountable reason, although Jen thought they had a good idea why, everyone began to laugh. Everyone except Joe, who visibly relaxed when the knife fell to the floor. Signor Palatra appeared to recover soonest and swiftly strode across the stage to envelop Sophia in his arms, although notably also to place himself between her and the knife. When they were stood next to each other, the family resemblance became much more obvious. He began speaking swiftly to her in Italian, and before long, conveyed her away into the wings, leaving Jen, Joe, and a very pale theatre puncher. That was really cool. What? You know what? Their job at the theatre done, Joe would have much preferred to disappear as quickly as possible, but Nigel insisted on seeing them out and thanking them roughly for solving the mystery of the murdered tenor. Although, as Joe pointed out, the mystery had sort of solved itself when the murderess lost her nerve and tried to do in somebody else. Still, Nigel insisted on shaking their hands anyway. Have you got all your ghost hunting stuff? Yeah. Wakes every time. He glanced at Jen as he said that, who grinned back. Not sure what you did, but it's all sorted one way or another. We're going to need a new duke. Preferably a new sparrow for Chile as well. I reckon Lawrence isn't coming back. And a new gilder, obviously. Because she's going to prison? Because she's going to prison, yeah. There was always something a bit funny about her. They've always made the hairs go up on the back of her neck, and not in the good way. When Nigel said that, Jen and Joe exchanged another quiet look between the two of them. Hopefully now everyone knows there wasn't a curse, it was just some mad soprano, they'll all come back. Maybe. Thanks, anyway. Dear bother. Only a day's work for the Ghost Hunter Society. Aye, the London Ghost Hunter Society. See ya! Dear audience, before we leave the performance today, the waving hands and retreating backs of Joe, Jen and Nigel, let us go to the local police station, wherein Sophia Zello is sitting in a cell, awaiting further decisions on her fate. Outside, an indistinct figure glances at the station, then glances at something in their hand. They waver for a moment, as if considering whether to go in. Then they close their hand into a fist and tear themselves angrily away, storming off down the road. 
The Pantaloon Society is a Cytogram Here production by Lou Sutcliffe. AM pronouns. Distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International License. This episode used sounds from freesound.org. For full accreditation, content warnings and transcripts, please see the show notes. To be kept up to date on the show, please do follow on Twitter, at Pantaloonsock. Farewell, dear audience, and thank you for listening.